Hi, this is Jim Lyon. You're listening to Viewpoint. With me today, Jamie Wilkerson. Jamie, how are you? I'm doing great. You know, we're kind of in new digs today, aren't we? Our studio's been reconfigured. Kind of cool, isn't it? It is so cool. I love it. I mean, uh, this is a multi-purpose room that uh, is in production for many different projects. But today, so glad to have you with us as Jamie and I are here in our fancy new studio for Viewpoint. Hey, Jamie. I know that we talked before about The Crown and you hadn't seen it yet. The Crown I'm referring to is that Netflix series that's tracing the story, the life story of Queen Elizabeth II. And she's lived a long time and she's been on the throne a long time. She's had that crown on her head a long time. And so there's lots of storytelling uh, in this Netflix series now in its fourth season, producing its fifth season coming up. Uh, You hadn't seen it before. But now I know you've watched a few seasons. Come on, give me just like, what? What's your first impression? Wow, it was, it was very, it was interesting. <laughs> it was very interesting. It was, there were uh, moments um, of heaviness, and then there were moments of just real transparency that I wasn't expecting. So it was, it was really interesting. <laughs> okay, come on. I, I, it's, it's a way surprising for people who may have uh, just fantasize fantasize (laughs) about what life in the palace is like and to see real people in real difficulties trying to navigate through a complex world that we don't often think about that if you're royalty don't you just slide by but the crown makes it clear no everybody has stuff and uh, we understand and acknowledge that the crown is a fictionalized view in other words there are a lot of conversations that are portrayed in the crown that have to be written without anyone who actually was there uh, present. In other words, people are making up the narrative. We know the headlines, but we don't always know what happens behind closed doors. Nevertheless, it's a compelling drama. And come on, have you found at your house, like I've found at mine, that once we start looking at an episode, then you just want to say, well, you know, maybe I need to see that next episode. So you find yourself kind of in a binge, watching yes. several at a time. Yes, we we uh, I I binge watched <laughs> because you know no matter how many I limited myself to maybe at first I would say I'll just watch one or two and then it's so hard to to just lay so it just down. Stop. It's <laughs> well, because <laughs> <to> sacrifice sleep. <laughs> one story leads to the next, but it's yeah. a continuous drama, and uh, I totally understand. I was uh, just sharing with uh, Jared, who works in our studio here, about how my wife and I have been married for 42 years, and my wife likes to go to sleep early and wake up early. I'm completely opposite. I want to stay up till 2 a.m., sleep till 10 in, in my perfect world, but. Uh, when we started watching The Crown, uh, I'd say, well, let's watch an episode of The Crown. So we did. And then she'd say, well, how about one more? I said, okay, if you want to. And then another, <laughs> you know, just the other night, uh, we were up past 1 a.m. I mean, I'm telling you, in 42 years of marriage, that has never happened wow. at my house. But The Crown kind of drew us in. Yes. It's really fascinating. And okay. the production values are so astonishing. So that the way they make it a period piece, if it's in the 1950s, you're in the 1950s. If you're at Buckingham Palace in the 1960s, you're there at that period. And Okay, one last thing. Come on, have you found yourself while you're watching it? Names and faces and characters come up and you think, well, I kind of heard of them, but I'm not sure. And you find yourself kind of like watching on the side on your phone, trying yes, to look up information. trying to fact check. I, yes, there were a couple of people that um, I looked up just to find out more because I just knew there had to be something else <laughs> to this character. And I... Yeah, I found out a lot of information. (laughs) And there was more. Oh, yes. (laughs) Eye-popping more. Well, The Crown has taken the world by storm. I mean, it is a phenomenon, and 
people are in the queue waiting for the next season to drop on Netflix. They they'll drop ten episodes at a time, which leads to binge watching. Yes, <laughs>、uh, but you know. When you look at the story and you think, "Man, is that really possible?" and then I think about history. The people who have lived before, who've had、uh, royal assignments, have had complicated lives too. And then I actually—it just drives me back to the scripture, because in the Old Testament, especially, we have the story of kings and queens. And if there was one royal story in the Old Testament to tell, come on, it's got to be about King David. I mean, this guy is a towering figure, one of the most influential voices, really, of all time. Because not only did he rule, he also was an author and a poet. His words still live in the quotes made in the in the histories of the kings of Israel and Judah that capture his story in the Old Testament. David. I mean, you want to talk about the crown? Let's talk about David. Speaking about King David, Jamie, and and the Crown on Netflix and so on, I, I can't drive by our conversation without acknowledging. Well, we're just in February, that season of Valentine's Day. You know, I mean, it's it's all that romance and you know that little candy heart, be mine, those kinds of things.、Uh, is your husband that romantic genius, and you're just kind of like waiting for Valentine's Day for him to surprise you, or? Every day at your house is Valentine's Day, and you don't need to celebrate. What do you say? Oh, I love the latter answer. But <laughs> <laughs> he actually started early. He bought me a big box of something that I don't need right now during this pandemic.、Um, a box of chocolates. So he started a little early. So I'm thinking that's a prerequisite to things you to know, come. It's worth noting.、Yeah. Uh, marriage is worth celebrating.、Uh, our romance、uh, that we can discover in life is worth celebrating. And, It is. And Valentine's Day kind of reminds. Us of that dimension of life. I know my wife actually afraid of what I might buy for her. <laughs> Just yesterday, showed me a picture of some frosted heart sugar cookies. I know she loves sugar cookies with frosting on top. Anyway, she she showed these to me and she said, "Just kind of." Pointedly, you know, this is what I'd love to have on Valentine's Day, and I'm in. Don't tell her, but I'm all in to surprise her with that. But that brings us back to King David because here's a guy who knew something about romance. I mean, he he was、oh, a thing. Yes, I mean, he knew about romance. <laughs> I mean, honestly, when we meet King David first up in the Scripture, he's being described as this guy who kind of turned heads. There was something about the way in which he carried himself. His stature, his appearance, his style—I mean, he just had that thing that made him walk into a room, and oh yeah, there's that guy, and and that led him into a series of romances in his lifetime that we can read about in Scripture. But perhaps the most famous isn't one、uh, that's so easy. It's a little bit like a story on the crown, isn't it? Oh yes. <laughs> I mean, Elizabeth. Very, very Elizabeth、similar. becomes queen. Why? Why does she become queen? Because her father becomes king, and why? Because his brother、uh, had this wild romance, romance with a woman、uh, from the United States named Wallace Simpson, and King Edward the Eighth. In the end, had to give up the throne of England in the pursuit of that relationship, and all of that tumbled to put Elizabeth on the throne, which, in the ordinary course, would never have happened. Except for that, I mean. So as I think about that, and then think, oh, David, David made some turns too, didn't he?、Oh, yeah. While he was king, 
And that brings us to a famous personality named Bathsheba. Well, when we say David and Bathsheba, uh, suddenly there is a frame drawn in our minds because we know the story. David has a romance outside of his marriage with another woman who is married to someone else, and it is a mess up. Let's unpack the story, Jamie, you and I. I mean, some people think, well, that Bible, it's probably boring, isn't it? Well, not exactly. (laughs) Sometimes it's uh, very raw and it helps us understand ourselves because it's so honest. I mean, one of the things about scripture that has always drawn me is that it does not fudge on on the reality of human life and experience. In other words, it's frank, it's honest, it's authentic, even when it's unpleasant. And that's a little bit of the story today. So the story is found in the book called Second Samuel uh, in the 11th chapter. And let's just dive in. Uh, Jamie, what does it say beginning with verse 1? In the spring of the year when kings normally go out to war, David sent Joab and the Israelite army to fight the Ammonites. They destroyed the Ammonite army and laid siege to the city of Rabbah. However, David stayed behind in Jerusalem. Late one afternoon, after his midday rest, David got out of bed and was walking on the roof of the palace. As he looked out over the city, he noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. He sent someone to find out who she was, and he was told, She is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her, and when she came to the palace, he slept with her. She had just completed the purification rites after having her menstrual period. Then she returned home. Later, when Bathsheba discovered that she was pregnant, she sent David a message saying, I'm pregnant. Whoops. I just have to pause here. Wow. So already we have the stuff of Phil, but it's also real life, isn't it? I'm just going to reflect as a guy, I'm looking at David thinking, I want to be like him. I mean, he's the king. He's got a palace. He's got everything, doesn't he? And uh, right now he's winning the war. I mean, the battle's raging, but he's not on the front line. He doesn't have to be because it's going well. And uh, I'm just thinking, man, he's got everything. And to be able to take, a, you know, look at his routine in the midday, after his midday rest. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> a nap Come on. Uh, you know, was that, after, was that after the workout in the gym? Or, right. you know, uh, he, he takes a rest and then he gets up and he's just walking around. He looks over the city. And right uh, until this point, moment, you think this guy has everything. Don't mess it up. But he has a wandering eye, but who doesn't? He's looking out and there's a woman taking a bath. And I've been to that part of Jerusalem. There's a part of ancient Jerusalem called the city of David. You've been there too, Jamie. And you know, it, it makes sense, doesn't it? Because that part of the city at the time David was the king is a bunch of buildings and stair steps up a hill. So the palace is up the kind of top of the hill and you're looking down over the city and people live on their rooftops in that hot climate and they don't have basements and so on and so forth. And taking a bath on the rooftop would be an ordinary thing. And yet, while David is surveying that, you know, you can see that and you can walk on by or you can see that and get out your binoculars. And that's what he did. I mean, he fixated on her and he doesn't even know who it is. But because he's the king, he's able to pull her up into his own house and into his own bed. And she is married. I mean, he is told before he gets her into his house, she is married and married to a man he knows. And he still does it. I mean, this is the reality of life and how passion and romance, if left without guardrails, 
can create a disaster. Well, now she's pregnant. This is where the story picks up in verse 6. Then David sent word to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite. So Joab sent him to David. When Uriah arrived, David asked him how Joab and the army were getting along and how the war was progressing. Then he told Uriah, who he knows is the man married to the woman he's been sleeping with, go on home and relax. Wink, wink, nod, nod. David even sent a gift to Uriah after he'd left the palace. But Uriah did not go home. He slept that night at the palace entrance with the king's palace guard. What's up with Uriah? Verse 10, when David heard that Uriah had not gone home, he summoned him and asked, What's the matter? Why didn't you go home last night after being away for so long? I'm sure David wanted to say, you know, I've heard your wife is really beautiful. What are you doing sleeping outside at the door? Uriah replied, the ark and the armies of Israel and Judah are living in tents and Joab and my master's men are camping in the open fields. How could I go home to wine and dine and sleep with my wife? I swear that I would never do such a thing. But stay here today, David told him, and tomorrow you may return to the army. So Uriah stayed in Jerusalem that day and the next. Then David invited him to dinner and got him drunk. But even then he couldn't get Uriah to go home to his wife. Again, he slept at the palace entrance with the king's palace guard. David is in a predicament. He's in a corner. He has a woman pregnant by his own folly, and that woman is married to someone he respects and who is respected, and that guy is so noble that he will not play David's game. He doesn't even know he's being played, but he won't play it because he has integrity. Verse 14, so the next morning David wrote a letter to Joab and gave it to Uriah to deliver. The letter instructed Joab, station Uriah on the front lines where the battle is fiercest. Then pull back so far that he will be killed. So Joab assigned Uriah to a spot close to the city wall where he knew the enemy's strongest men were fighting. And when the enemy's soldiers came out of the city to fight, Uriah the Hittite was killed along with several other Israelite soldiers. Think about this. David, such a good man, really, brave and honored, and so he should have been as king has descended to a place where not only will he take another man's wife as his own, not only will he conceive a child with a woman who is not supposed to be under his roof, he will descend so low that he will actually have a man murdered to protect his reputation. Think about it. That's what this is about. He will sacrifice lives so that his reputation will not be disturbed. Did you catch this detail, Jamie? The letter that signs his murder warrant is actually given to him to carry. Uriah, take this letter to the commander, and he hands the letter off innocently, which is actually his warrant for death. It's appalling. You know, we want to drive by it and, and just say, well, you know, boys will be boys. No, sin will be sin. And when you sin, The more you do something wrong and you try to escape the outcome, the consequence, and the more you try and cover it up, the worse it becomes, the deeper it grows, and the more appalling you become. That's David's story.
There is no guilt here. There is no shame. No pointing fingers. There is no blame. What happened yesterday has disappeared. The dirt has washed away, and now it's clear. There's only grace. There's only love. There's only mercy, and believe me, it's enough. Your sins are gone without a trace, and there's nothing left now. There's only grace. Starting over now, under the sun, and you're stepping forward now. A new life has begun. Your new life has begun. And there's only grace. And there's only love. There's only mercy, and believe me, it's enough. You see. There's nothing left now, and there's only grace. And if you should fall again, well, get back up, get back up, reach out and take my hand. Get back up, get back up, get back up again. There's only grace, there's only love, there's only mercy, and believe me, it's enough, it's enough. Your sins are gone without a trace, and there's nothing left now, and there's only Unfortunately, Jamie, I'm afraid that David's story could sometimes be ours. I, I realize that few of us have ordered the, the murder of someone else, but we've still done things that have cost other people, and we've tried to walk around it without just owning it and acknowledging, you know, I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have said that. I, I shouldn't have acted that way. But instead of just owning that, we just let it stand. 
and someone else suffers by it. And this is the story of the crown, but it's the story of all human life, isn't it? You know, David is such a great guy. How do we unpack his journey? How do we learn from it? And here's my first take. I think that David started with a sense of entitlement. He got to a place in life where he felt like he was entitled to have what he wanted. And whenever you operate from a, a lens of entitlement, you are going to slip down into some kind of broken place because none of us are entitled to take what does not belong to us. None of us are entitled to simply allow our desire to define what we do. All of us are entitled to loving one another and be loved back, but not to take advantage of people. And he got into that entitlement game. And I'm afraid in the world in which I live, there are a lot of whispers saying, I'm entitled to this. You have a right to this. Whoa. No, I have a right to be humble before God. David kind of gets there though. What do you think, Jamie? Well, I mean, that act um, was very selfish. And as you said, it, you know, when I was younger, I used to look at, you know, stories like this and I thought, wow, how could they, you know? Um, but now I've learned that, you know, a lot of these stories can be a mirror for us. Um, so he did suffer t um, terribly. And as a result of this sin with Bathsheba and a lot of other people suffered around him, as you mentioned, but he repented in his defense. You know, I love David. I'm going to always defend him. But he did def um, repent to God and he humbled himself before him. And so, you know, if this story is a mirror for us, it also gives us hope that, you know, no matter what we've done, no matter how far we've gone, we can still be regarded as God's beloved, as David was. Um, and we still can accomplished great things because he became, you know, the ancestor of Jesus Christ. And so it's a story of redemption. I think you're spot on, Jamie. It's a story of, of the ups and downs of life, isn't it? That David's story lands on an up. And the key to it is that he owned responsibility for his sin and repented of it. To repent means to turn away from. I'm not going to just keep doing that same thing over and over. I'm going to turn away from that. And as he did this, he humbled himself. He was famously confronted by his friend and a prophet named Nathan, where he is convicted in his own heart of what he had done. And he crumbles before God. I mean, he, he is so sorrowful. He is the guy who models for us what it means to have sorrowful repentance, to turn away from what we have been and done, to say we're sorry, and to try and make things right. David stands out there, and you're right. He has a whole other chapter now of life to live. He's going to suffer by this choice because bad things happen consequent to his bad choices. His family becomes a mess up. Uh, he has tension with his own people, the people that he governs. Uh, his reputation is tarnished. But for all of that, when he humbles himself before God, this is the power of God's majesty. God lifted him up. And for everyone listening today, maybe your sin isn't of the same magnitude by your measure of what David did, but if there's something in your life where you're feeling guilty right now, if there's something where you know someone else is hurting because of what you did, if you have anything in you that you realize, man, I should not have done that. I'm here to tell you, your life is not over. If you will just humble yourself before God and seek his forgiveness, 
the son of David, that's what people call Jesus, the son of David has made a way for you to be whole. When David repented to God and he humbled himself before God and God forgave him, out of that experience, um, that encounter with God, he wrote some of the most beautiful psalms. And one um, that really stood out to me was Psalms 51. It really kind of shows David's heart of repentance. And so it just proves again that God is a redeemer. He can redeem situations. And even if there's something that you feel has separated you from God, it doesn't matter what it is. He can turn it around for his glory and for your good. And, and this is essentially what David did with the, the Psalms. Psalm 51 is a masterpiece. It is. And anyone who's ever known guilt can find in it their own story. And it is a gift to us, born out of the terrible choices that David and Bathsheba once made. It's interesting that David and Bathsheba will conceive a child, a different child than this one recorded in the story, and name that boy Solomon, who is the favored one to become the progenitor of the Messiah in the Davidic royal line. There's so much that God redeems in this story. But the keys for me in the whole narrative are these. I have to be very careful that I never walk with a sense of entitlement, as if I can have something I should not have and get away with it. Point once you get that in your head, you're in trouble. But if you stumble, there's always a way forward if you will humble yourself and own responsibility for it. Sometimes we want to look at others and say, well, I like them, I'm sympathetic to them. They don't really need to go through all this. No, you have to go through this. You have to humble yourself and own responsibility. Don't, don't just pretend that you don't have to. And if you're on a public stage, if you wear the crown, it's even more draconian, isn't it? Because you have to do it on a public stage. If you sin in public, you're going to have to confess in public. Some people who don't wear the crown, ordinary folk, may not have to go through all of that public furor. But it doesn't matter who we are. We have to own our stuff and do it in a way that makes it clear that we have repented and will not do the same again. Friends listening today, this Valentine's Day, celebrate. We want to encourage you. Don't give up on romance. Maybe you're single right now and you're thinking, uh, not much to celebrate, I'm by myself. Well, hey, keep dreaming and praying for some romance in your life. It can be a God-given thing. And if you're married, or maybe you're planning to get married, or you're in some kind of relationship that is healthy and whole, hey, Make this Valentine's Day one to remember, but do it in a way that lives within the boundaries of the scripture and its sexual ethics. Because when you veer out of that, I promise you, all you can look forward to is some pain and trouble. Why not celebrate in a way that honors the great gift of relationships, human sexuality, and life and romance that God has given to us? Wherever you are in life today, whatever your story, Valentine's Day or any day of the year, if you have anything for which you are ashamed, let's pray right now and make sure that it's clean. We want to invite you to pray. Just take a deep breath and pray with us. Our Father, we're so thankful today for your grace and your mercy, how you know us inside and out. We're thankful, Lord, that when we mess up, even as King David did, that you will not, you will not abandon us if we will turn towards you. Help us, Lord, to understand our sin. Don't let us pretend it doesn't exist or be numb to it. Help us to see it. And when others are injured by it, Lord, help us to own that and help us to repent of it and turn away from our wickedness by your grace. 
Lord, we are thankful for the Son of David, Jesus Christ the Lord, who died on a cross so that we can be free of what we have done. In this world, Lord, we pray that we will make amends and do the right thing, picking up the pieces of broken glass. Empower us to do that when we have sinned. And for eternity, Lord, we thank you for the gift of eternal life made freely given by the work of Jesus on the cross. Thank you for David and his story. Thank you for the way in which he wore the crown and for the way in which he cleaned up his mess-ups by walking with you. Thank you, Lord, for hearing our prayer. For everyone who has joined us in this, may they right now feel relief, life, and hope. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed with us today, maybe you just have a question about what you've heard or maybe a comment you'd like to share. Whatever's on your heart, give us a call. Seriously, give us a call right now. 1-800-757-8439, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. We're by the phone, I promise. We want to hear from you. You know what, Jamie? I realize that not everyone wants to call, but maybe they would send us an email. Where can they find us online? They can find us at www.cbhviewpoint.org. That's CBH, Christians Broadcasting Hope, viewpoint.org. That's exactly who we are, Broadcasting Hope. If you'd prefer, just write me a letter. Address it to Jim Lyon, Viewpoint, Post Office Box 2420, Anderson, Indiana, 46018, USA. Or at the last, even, maybe you're accessing this broadcast online. And if so, just send us a message in our social media feed. We're watching that, too. Jamie Wilkerson, happy Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's Day to you. Happy watching The Crown, binge watching. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And we are so thankful to have you alongside. And to all of you who've tuned in today, thank you for joining us. We hope you'll be back with us next week when we unpack another story from The Crown, this series born out of a Netflix series, but actually diving into the life of King David. Until then, for all of us at the Viewpoint Ministry team, for all of us at Church of God Ministries, which is the host of our broadcast, this is Jim Lyon. Stay tuned.